that because I want to be saved. How about you? I want to finish this journey. Amen. Far better than what even started. I want to finish it. Amen. As a vessel of God. Let's put our hands together and welcome this good man of God, this pulpit this morning. God bless you, Brother Sapphire. Appreciate you, brother. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. There's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. And there's nothing like being in His presence. Amen. There's nothing like the great move of the Holy Ghost. And we are no doubt in one of those moves this morning. I, um, a couple Sundays ago, I believe it was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, I made the statement in the service that I was preaching. I said, you know, I believe it's Matthew 24, Brother Troy, that Jesus begins to speak about the last days and the conditions that our world would be in in those last days. And just reading what Jesus says tells me that we are no doubt living in those last days. But Jesus said, nation shall rise against nation. Now, he's not saying that the United States is going to rise against Russia. That's not what he means when he says nation. Because that word nation in the Greek is where we get the word ethnicity. He's, he's really telling us that there's going to be racism in the last days. People of one particular background is going to turn against others, and no doubt that's going on right now. But there's comfort in that because in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was about to be poured out, or after it was poured out, the Bible says that there were 16 different ethnicities that had come to Jerusalem. Because that tells me, Brother Moore, the only thing that's going to unite us is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The only thing that's going to heal our nation, the only thing that's going to heal our lands is what we're experiencing in this room today. The government can try to do whatever they want to do. The White House can try to come up with any idea they want to come up with, and I pray for all of it. But what our world needs more than any of that is we need another Pentecost every chance we get an opportunity to have it. Because His Spirit's the only thing that unites us. And I feel that uniting in this house today. And where there's one accord, there's no telling what God can do in that house. And I believe that uh, the Lord wants to do some great things in this room today. Proverbs chapter 12, if you have your Bible, I will quickly go to the Word of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 12, and then we will go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and... Um, as you're finding that, I want to give honor again to your pastor and your pastor's wife today, brother and sister Moore. Give them honor today and thank them for their kindness and hospitality. And no doubt, I'm very confident in saying this, you're in good hands with the leadership God's blessed you at this church. And uh, I give them honor today. And also, everybody that's in the house of the Lord, thank you for being in church this morning. Uh, it's good to be back in the church house. I've, uh, I've preached parking lot services. I've preached from my living room and from my kitchen. I've preached pre-recorded sermons and sent in to people to play on that weekend. And all those things are good to have. Thank God for technology. But there's no substitute than being in the house of the Lord together with our brothers and sisters. And I never want to take going to church for granted again. Amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 12. We will read just that first portion of Scripture in the 25th verse of Proverbs 12. Solomon tells us, Heaviness in the heart of a man 
maketh it stoop. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it to stoop. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6 and verse number 7. Peter tells us, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Sometimes we all just have to be reminded that God knows where we are, and God is concerned about where we are and what we are going through. I feel like it's the Lord's will to send a ministering spirit in this house, and I believe it's already here today. And I believe that the Lord wants to take some heaviness away from some of us. And I believe before we dismiss and go home, before we go our separate ways and eat lunch and do whatever we're going to do, I believe it's God's desire for him to pour out a fresh thing of peace in this house today. If you want that peace to fall in this house, why don't you just lift your hands one more time. And as your hands are lifted, why don't you ask the Holy Ghost to help us for the next few moments to speak to our hearts, our minds, and spirits. In the name of Jesus. My title today, Solomon tells us, Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop. And Peter tells us to cast all of our cares upon him. My title today is simply, The Cure for a Heavy Heart. The Cure for a Heavy Heart. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. If you would allow me to just begin the sermon by being honest and transparent, let me tell you that I have not come this morning to preach uh, some fancy style of a sermon. The truth is I probably couldn't do that if I tried, but it's my goal in this room today. I would rather not impress the individuals that are here, but I would rather try to impact every individual that came to the house of the Lord this morning through God's Word. And so with that in mind, I've come to do my best to address an issue that I believe so many in our world and even so many in our churches are dealing with. It's almost the elephant in the room, so to speak, because it's that thing that exists, but we would often rather bypass it and I, we would rather avoid it than identify it. I've come to deal with that thing that we understand exists, but we would rather bypass I've come to preach about that seven-letter word in our vocabulary uh, that most of the times we would rather not use. Uh, yes, I've come to deal and I've come to preach about anxiety for the next few moments in this house. And I am well aware of those negative connotations that are attached uh, with this word and even the uneasy feelings and the emotions that uh, this word brings. But I believe through the help of the Lord uh, and through God's word, God wants to help some individuals uh, who are sitting on these pews this morning. Uh, anxiety has been defined as the feeling of worry or nervousness uh, or 
or being uneasy typically about an event with an uncertain outcome. It simply means to have intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, approximately 40 million American adults, which is 18% of the population within the United States, are experiencing chronic anxiety in one fashion or another. It was in 2018 when Barnes & Noble, who are the largest book retailer in the United States, they announced a huge 25% surge in the sales of books which dealt with anxiety, which then led to a press reporter making the statement that we are no doubt living in a generation where anxiety has become prevalent. Harriet Green, a journalist for The Guardian, wrote in 2008 that we as Americans are entering into an unprecedented age of fear, worry, and anxiety. It was then in 2014 Patrick O'Connor wrote in the Wall Street Journal that Americans are registering record levels of anxiety almost on a weekly basis. And the truth is it is something that our nation, no doubt even our world, is submerged in. And if the truth be told, if we could go beyond the physical this morning and begin to look through the eyes of the spiritual, I believe that there would be people that we would see in this room today who are attempting to cope with their own personal anxieties. Because if we could look through the lens of the Spirit, how many would we see in this room today who are worrying about certain circumstances, others who may be fearing the outcome of certain situations, how many may be in this room this morning who are wondering about the what ifs life has thrown in our direction, others who are unsure about what tomorrow may unfold. A recent study came up with the shocking conclusion that every week an individual will spend over 14 hours of worrying that week, which then equals to 744 hours of worry each year, which then equals to 45,243 hours of worry over that individual's lifetime, which then equals to 1,885 days in a lifetime spent doing nothing but worrying and captured by fear and wrestling with this thing called anxiety, which tells me when you make the numbers add up, they tell me that an average individual, Brother Moore, will spend 5.2 years of their life captured by worry and captured by fear. The word worry itself is another form of the word anxiety, and it comes from the English word, which literally means to strangle or to seize by the throat. And the fact is, this is not something that I'm preaching to you that I know nothing about personally, because the preacher will be the first one who's transparent. I'll be the first one who's honest, and I'll admit to this congregation and tell you that I know what it's like to worry, and I know what it's like to wrestle with the unknown, and I know what it's like to deal with the emotions that anxiety can bring into an individual's life, because the last two years have been the most challenging and trying time in my family's life, and I can tell this congregation this morning that I've went to God in prayer many a times within the last 24 months asking the Lord what's going to happen next and what's going to go wrong tomorrow from 11 hospitalizations to my youngest son Cade.
prostate being born almost two months early and lungs that were not fully developed to my wife going into emergency surgery because of the complications due to the birth of our son to my niece having brain seizures up to 25 a day and then having to have two extreme brain surgeries in Birmingham to losing my sister-in-law two weeks before Thanksgiving in 2018 in a head-on collision to my other niece having all kind of birth defects when she was born. I can tell this congregation this morning that I know what it's like to worry and I know what it's like to be fearful and I know what it's like to be apprehensive and wonder what's going to happen next. And there's people in this house this morning. The circumstances may differ, but every person in this room knows what it's like to wrestle with worry. You know what it's like to wrestle with the unknown. Every person in this house knows what it's like to be fearful and unsure. We know what it's like to wrestle with this thing called anxiety. When we begin to look, at anxiety from a biblical perspective. I'm thankful uh, that God's Word has an answer for everything that we go through. Uh, and when we begin to look at anxiety uh, from a biblical perspective this morning, uh, the word anxiety itself will not appear uh, in the King James Version if you use that in your Bible. Uh, but the translators use synonyms uh, such as trouble, uh, heaviness, distress, and cares in its place. Uh, I will remind us of David's passionate prayer. Uh, I'm sure it would resonate with some in this room today uh, when he asked the question in Psalm 13 and 2 uh, how long uh, shall I take counsel in my soul uh, having sorrow uh, in my heart daily uh, understand that's how the King James Version uh, translates the verse uh, but it's the Holman Christian Standard Bible uh, that makes it somewhat clearer when they render David's prayer from this context uh, how long uh, will I store up anxious concerns within me uh, and have agony uh, in my mind every day. Solomon's proverb or text rings true to many when he tells us in Proverbs 12 and 25 heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop understand it was Solomon's way of telling us that anxiety has a way of weighing down our heart and making it heavy. Can I tell everybody in this room this morning that caring fears and caring worries and caring uncertainties and caring apprehension as a way of weighing down our heart and making it heavy. I'm telling everybody in this room, if you find yourself in that place right now, you are not alone because you can open God's Word and there's individuals who walked throughout the pages of your Bible who knew what it was like to have fear and anxiety as their constant companions. I would remind us that David could testify about having to deal with anxiety and the emotions that accompany it because in many of David's psalms, he writes from a position of fear, worry, anguish, and uncertainty. I would remind us of Elijah the prophet. You know the man that can defile the armies of Baal. He can go against 850 false prophets, but he's the same man who sits under a juniper tree and he's suicidal and he hides in a cave because he fears he's the only one left alive. I would remind us of Jeremiah because he knows what it's like to struggle with this thing called anxiety because he speaks of the troubles and sorrows that were with him since he was born and the Bible calls him the weeping prophet because heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop. I would remind us even Jesus 
in the Garden of Gethsemane experiences what I'm preaching about this morning because it's there the story unfolds and we see the wrestling match that's taking place inside the body of Jesus we see the fleshly side wrestling with the God side and Jesus said if it be your will let this cup pass from me and it's there we see the wrestling match between humanity and deity and the Bible says because of the distress and apprehension Jesus was in his skin or his sweat turns into drops of blood. Doctors have come to call it hematridosis because it simply means your skin bleeds without any open wounds. And scholars have come to tell us it happened to Jesus because of the distress he was in before the crucifixion. In fact, commentaries have told me that it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus truly began to die. Before his bag was exposed to the smiters. And before he had to carry that beam up Golgotha's hill, and before a crown of thorns were placed on his head, and before nails were driven in his hands and within his feet, and before a spear was plunged into his side, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus began to die because that's the effect distress had on his heart. That's how heavy it weighed his heart down. And I'm preaching to people in this room who know exactly what I'm preaching about this morning. There's people in this house. You're carrying burdens. You're carrying fears. And you're carrying uncertainties. There's people in this room today. You're unsure how some things are going to turn out. You're apprehensive. You're dealing with a thing called fear and anxiety. I've come to tell us Solomon had it right when he said, Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop. Fears and worries has a way of weighing down our hearts and making it heavy. Solomon in all of his wisdom understood exactly what all of us have to go through in life because he said heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop. So the question we must ask ourselves is this. If God's word has the answer, if God's word has a remedy, we've got to ask the question this morning. If heaviness weighs down my heart, if anxieties makes my heart heavy, what is the cure for my heavy heart? I believe there's people in this room today. You ain't got to raise your hand, but I'm telling you there's people in this room. You know what it's like to walk around with heaviness in your heart and heaviness in your spirit. It's not because we're bad, but life is going to happen. Uncertainties are going to come. Situations are going to go the opposite way we wanted them to go. And it's in those moments when our heart becomes heavy and we've got to ask the question, what is the cure for those worries? What is the cure for my uncertainties. What is the cure for the things that causes my heart to be heavy? I take you this morning to our second portion of our text because it is in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 6 and 7. We find the apostle Peter writing to us in his epistle and it's what Peter says in verse number 7 that caught my attention because he tells us to cast all of our cares upon him for he careth for you. 
I'm going to slow down because I want us to get this. That word cares that Peter uses, Brother Troy, is literally interpreted. It's literally defined as the word anxiety. So Peter is literally attacking the anxieties that every one of us are going to face in life when he says cast your cares or cast your anxieties upon him. Peter's bringing it to the front and telling us there's going to be worries and there's going to be fears and there's going to be uncertainties, but there's Something we are supposed to do with those cares. The word cares that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5 and 7 appears again in your New Testament Bible in the same form and in the same context. It is in Luke chapter 19 verse 35. I love it because the Bible always interprets itself because if you want to know something that that writer was trying to tell us, that verse is going to be rewarded. It's going to be revealed in some other place. And that is happening in Luke 19 and 35 because the same word cast that Peter uses in his epistle is the same word Luke uses in chapter 1935. The setting of that text is a very familiar place to us in the Word of God. It is Palm Sunday, and the Bible says two of the disciples have been sent into the city to get a colt for Jesus to ride upon. And it tells us in Luke 19 and 35, and they, speaking of the disciples, brought him the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus their own. And once again, the Bible gives us more revelation revelation on how we are supposed to treat and deal with our anxieties. Because the same word that Peter uses in his epistle is the same word that Luke uses in his gospel. And the parallel between the verses are straightforward. If you have a garment that you no longer want to carry, you simply get rid of it by casting your garment on the back of that colt. You with me today? I'm no longer carrying the garment, Brother Troy, but the cold is carrying it for me. I'm no longer weighed down by the garment that was on me. And I've come to tell us the same way that the disciples cast their garment on the back of that colt is exactly how Peter tells us to cast our anxieties upon him. And so that tells me this morning, I'm carrying fears that God never intended for me to carry. I'm carrying things that God doesn't want me to be weighed down by. If I'm overburdened and if I'm weighed down by the cares of life I've got to make the decision I'm casting it down I'm throwing it off because anxieties are meant to be cast not carried cast your anxieties upon him they tell me that colts or donkeys can safely carry up to 30% of their own body weight but I've got good news for everybody in this room because there's a God in this house who wants to carry more than just 30% of my worries. He wants to carry 30% of my fears. He wants to carry 30 per, more than 30% of those things that have me fearful, afraid, and apprehensive. You may have come to church this morning, and you may be overburdened, and you can barely make it because of what you're dealing with. Your back may be weary, but there's a God in this house whose back will not break under pressure. It's up to us to make the decision. I'm casting it down. I'm throwing it off because my anxieties in the eyes of God are meant to be cast down and not carried. If I'm carrying them, I'm doing something God never intended for me to do. 
I've got to cast them down and not carry them. It's amazing that that word cast literally means to throw down with intent. And sometimes we just got to come to God's house and say, you know what? I've dealt with this fear long enough. I've been uncertain long enough. I've been apprehensive long enough. But in this house, on a Sunday morning, I'm throwing off that fear. I'm throwing off that apprehension. I'm throwing off that uncertainty because the cure to my heavy heart is I've got to cast down everything that's called Causing my heart to be heavy. The cure has always been found in the casting. Anxieties, fears, worries, uncertainties are meant to be cast on him, not carried by me. That's the cure for my heavy heart. Maybe that's why the prophet Isaiah tells us that we have a God who is a nail in a sure place. He says we can hang on him the vessels of cups which are small burdens or the vessels of flagons which are large burdens. And I'm thankful the prophet covers everything. He said you got small problems, you can hang it on him. If you've got big problems, you can hang it on him. If you're anywhere in between, you can throw it on him. He wants the burdens. He wants the vessels. He wants the flagons. I've got a God whom I can go to and I've got confidence in. I can cast it on him. I can throw it down because he's a God who is a nail in a sure place. It's why the psalmist tells us to cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain thee. If I'm going to have sustainability in my life, I've got to first cast down everything that's causing my heart to be heavy. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, because the cure has always been in the casting. There is a remedy in this house. There is a cure in the spirit. You ain't got to walk out of this house overburdened. You ain't got to walk out of this house fearful. There is a cure when I come to the understanding, the remedy has always been in the casting down and not caring. That's what makes the story of blind Bartimaeus so great, brother Moore. Jesus passes by him. And when Jesus passes by blind Bartimaeus, the Bible says he cast, there's that word again, off his garment. Now the great revelation about that scripture is that garment told everybody around him he was a beggar. That garment told everybody around him he's blind. It had almost become his identity. He had become stigmatized by the garment that he wore every day of his life. And when Jesus passed by him, the Bible said he cast off the garment. And so many times if we're not careful, circumstances can come into our life and we can be branded by fear. We can be branded by worry. We can be branded by doubt and uncertainty. But it's in those moments I've got to make up my mind. I'm casting off the garment that's causing me to be fearful. I will not be branded in the spirit of another service. The cure has always been when I cast down those things. Because I've got a promise in God's word that if I cast it down, 
There can be an exchange of garments in this room today. And I've come to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost uh, that God says uh, that he'll give you an exchange of garments. Uh, He'll give us a garment of praise uh, for the spirit of heaviness. Uh, And I've come to tell somebody in this house, uh, you want liberty to praise God? You've got to cast down that garment of heaviness. Uh, You want to step into another dimension of praise? Uh, You've got to cast off uh, the garment of worry uh, and the garment of fear uh, and the garment of anxiety. Uh, I'm telling us there could be uh, I'm breaking forth the praise in this house. If somebody made up their mind, I'm exchanging garments. I'm trading it in. I'm going to get a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The cure has always been found in the casting. Peter tells us, humble yourselves under the hand of God. And the truth be told, Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Surely I'm not the only one that's had trouble admitting to God I can't do this by myself. Maybe I am the only one that's ever had trouble. Just, you know what, God, I can't carry this no more. I'll be honest, there's been a lot of times in these last 24 months that I went to God and said, God, I've tried to figure you out. I've tried to figure things out, uh, and I'm not smart enough. Uh, I've tried to carry this by myself, uh, but I'm not strong enough. Uh, Listen, some things uh, we cannot figure out by ourselves. Some things uh, we are not smart enough to figure out. Uh, Listen, his ways are above our ways. Uh, His thoughts are not. I feel my Holy Ghost to tell somebody, uh, stop trying to figure out uh, what's going right or wrong in your life uh, and just get the understanding uh, God's in control. uh, And if I cast it down, he's going to take care of it we're not smart enough and we're not strong enough listen God did not create us to be self-sufficient he did not create us to be independent if he created us like that we wouldn't need a God to depend on we wouldn't need a God to pray to but God said I'm going to create you where you have need of me at all times but it's in those moments you can come to my throne you can kneel down before me and say God I've tried all I can try I'm casting it down I'm giving it to you I'm telling us there's going to be times when we are weak and we are broken but it's in those moments where When I cast it down, there's a cure that I will find. Because the cure has always been found in the casting. I've got to get to God and say, God, I can't do this by myself. We can pray all hours of the day. And there's some things that only God can take care of. We can fast every day of the week, but there's only some things God can take care of. And if we're not careful, we can become frustrated and we can become disillusioned and we can even become bitter at God. But it's in those moments I've got to remind myself, listen, God could have created me to be perfect, but he created me to be imperfect. But it's in those moments when I have questions. It's in those moments when I have anxieties and I've got fears. I've got a God I can go to. I've got somebody greater than myself that I can put my trust in. And It's in those moments I'm going to cast every anxiety at his feet. Cast all, all, regardless how small or big they are, God says, I want them all. Because if one thing is weighing me down, 
If there's one thing making my heart heavy, the cure will not be found. Sometimes we just have to be reminded that God knows where we are. God knows what we're going through. And God is concerned about each and every one of us. Why do I humble myself before him? Why do I cast my cares on him? Peter answers it. Because he cares for you. It's the most simplistic but yet most difficult verse to comprehend. God cares about us. God knows where each and every one of us are. Surely I'm not the only one that's ever prayed. And I've literally prayed this prayer. God, did you lose my address? Because sometimes it's hard for my human, frail, weak mind to comprehend that a God who has no beginning, ending, or middle, a God that's in time but outside of time, knows where I am. A God that created the stars and named them all is what the Bible says. It's sometimes hard to remember that same God knows where Adrian Sanford is. And he's concerned about me. Listen, I just feel to tell everybody in this room, it's simple. It ain't going to blow your mind. But God knows where each and every one of us are. In fact, the Bible says he knows the way that I take. And it's in those moments that I've got to trust that the God I'm praying to is concerned about me. And he cares about me. Listen, this is how this sermon began to unfold in my mind. September of last year, I'm preaching outside of Houston, Texas. On a Thursday morning, I go to the church that Thursday morning to pray. I'm almost done. Just hang on to me. Thursday morning, I go to church to pray, Brother Moore. And around about this time, my wife had begun a Bible study, weekly Bible study. People could phone in. They could video in. And what began is just her close friends, Brother Moore, joining together for one week or one day a week for an hour that night became something they probably wasn't prepared for. Because by the time that Bible study was over, there were over 400 women that tuned in every Thursday night at 6 o'clock for that hour. It became a very great outreach tool because the majority of those women did not go to church or they did not have an apostolic background. And for one day of the week, for one hour that day, women from various different backgrounds, different ethnicities, it didn't matter if they believed what we believe or not, for an hour the walls were down and they were transparent and honest with each other. And for an hour on a Thursday night, they all came together for a time of healing. I'm preaching outside of Houston that Thursday. I go to church that morning to pray for service that night. And the lesson for that Thursday night, that night's lesson was God knows where we are. And God is concerned about what we're going through. And just to summarize what it was. My wife texts me that morning and says, my best friend Jennifer just read what the title was for the lesson tonight. And she sent me the question, how does God really know where I am? And how does God really feel what I'm going through? My wife asked me the question, you got anything to say to this? The truth is, Brother Moore, what do you say to questions like that? Because those are honest questions that people, even in our churches, are asking. Does God really know where I am? Is God really concerned about what I'm going through? 
And so I pushed the sermon notes aside for that night. And I entered into a season of prayer because I understood this is my wife's best friend. We've known her for almost 20 years. But just to make a long story short, this was a girl who had lived in Ohio, growing up, raised in Ohio. Her mom and dad pastored the church she attended until she was 17, 18 years old. But some things began to happen and transpire. Infidelity fell on the part of the dad. The bitter divorce ensued. It destroyed the church almost entirely. The dad stays up north, and her mom, herself, and her brother, who at one time I was close with, moved down south. And so not only does she come from a broken family, and not only is she bitter, but her, her, her confidence in ministry has also been destroyed almost completely. She's the kind of person that she never dealt with it. She just kept pushing it down. She kept just bottling up all of her emotions that she felt. Until a Sunday morning in 2016, me and my wife are in bed. We get a phone call about 3 o'clock that Sunday morning. It's Jennifer on the other end of the phone crying, going hysterical. Her brother had moved back up north for a job. He owed people money he couldn't pay back. He got in gambling rings that he couldn't repay the debt that he owed. Got caught up with some bad people you don't want to get caught up with. And on that Saturday night, he sits at his table in his, in his apartment, writes three letters, and figures the best thing he can do is put a handgun to his head and pull the trigger so not only is she suffering from a broken family and not only is her confidence in church and ministry almost wrecked beyond repair but now her brother her only sibling has taken his life because he felt like there was nowhere else to turn and all of these things have just piled on year after year all these emotions all this agony all these anxieties that are just building up and my wife texts me and says what do you say to this and so I begin to seek the face of the Lord and I said Lord why don't you just give me something to help her out here and the Lord speaks two verses to me and this is how this sermon was birthed and I'm preaching to you today. He speaks to me, Isaiah 53 and 3. He said, son, you always look at Isaiah 53 and 5. You know, Isaiah 53 and 5, the prophet says, he's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. With his stripes we are healed. He said, you always go to verse 5, but you always overlook verse number 3. And the prophet tells us in 53 and 3 that he, speaking of Jesus in the future, he is despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is a man of sorrows, a man that will be familiar with grief. He then takes me to Hebrews 4 and 15 and it's there where Paul tells us that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are. And I said, you tell Jennifer. I said, God never had parents that backslid and got divorced. I said, God never lost a brother to suicide. But all of those emotions that accompany what he went through, that you're going through, he felt every one of them. He went through every one of them. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief and that tells me everything that I go through, he once went through it. He once felt it. He's a man of sorrows. He's familiar with grief. That tells me every time something hurts me, Every time something makes my heart heavy, every time I feel overwhelmed and I feel rejected and by myself, I've got a God that I can remember. He walked this earth. He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. That's why I believe if there was a second reason why he came, I believe that's why he came to this earth. 
understand the first reason why God wrote himself in flesh is because he had to die on the cross. He had to shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That's the first reason he came, to provide salvation for us human, a fallen, sick human world. But if there was a secondary reason why he came, I believe God said, I've got to put on flesh. I've got to walk where they're going to walk because I want to be able to relate to their pain. When they feel overwhelmed, I want it to touch me because I've been there. When they feel sorrows, I want it to touch me because I felt it. I've got to be familiar with grief. So in those times when they feel grief, I I remember how it felt. And I can go to God in prayer knowing he once felt it. Because how can a perfect God relate to imperfect people? How can a God who has need of nothing relate to people who have need of everything? God said, I got to put myself where they are. So in those times when they feel heavy, in those times when they feel overwhelmed, they can put their trust in a God who once felt it. I believe that's why the Bible says Jesus wept when he received the news that Lazarus had died. Why is Jesus weeping? He's going to resurrect Lazarus just a few verses down. If he knows he's going to resurrect him, why is he weeping? It's because Mary and Martha met him broken and tears flowing down their face and it was their hurt that touched him. And even though Jesus knew I'm about to wipe those tears away, even though Jesus knew I'm going to roll the stone away and I'm going to call him forth, it was their hurt that touched him because we've got a priest who was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And I feel in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody today, you're not by yourself. Those sorrows and those fears that you're carrying, there's a God who once cared it himself, and that's why I can go to him in complete confidence. It was already quoted today. Jesus asked the question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not because you are more value than many sparrows. What is Jesus trying to tell us? It was his way of telling us that if I know when the smallest of birds fall to the ground, if I see the sparrow fall, I know every detail about your life. And I'm telling this congregation, if God counts the hairs on your head, he is intimately acquainted with every detail of my life. And so if my heart is overwhelmed, if I'm fearful, if I'm apprehensive, I've got a God I can go to because I know he's concerned about me. He takes the time to count the hairs. That tells me he's very concerned about me. So it's in those moments when I have anxieties, when I have fears, and I have uncertainties. It's in those moments. I can humble myself and I can cast it on him because I trust. He cares about me. Casting it simply tells God, I'm trusting you to take care of those things I can't take care of. Get it out of your hands. Onto his back. Paul tells us, Philippians 4 and 6, be careful for nothing. There's that word again, careful. You know what it really means? Be anxious for nothing. Easier said than done, Paul. Look at our nation and the, the condition it's in. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Employment is going through the roof. Be anxious for nothing. We got riots going on. Be anxious for nothing. 
We got people being gunned down the streets. Be anxious for nothing. I'll get where we live. I got health problems. Be anxious for nothing. My family's backslidden away from God. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. Here it is. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts Your mind's through Jesus. I'm done. Hear me. When I make the transition that I can make, when I cast it down and get it out of my hands, I've got a promise in God's word that peace is coming to my heart. The only cure for a heavy heart is I've got to cast down those things that are making my heart heavy because the cure has always been found in the casting. But here's the great thing about that verse. He says, once you make the transition you can make, the peace of God shall keep your heart. Doesn't mean much when we're sitting at our table early one Monday morning reading that verse. It doesn't mean much just from a naked eye. But in ancient days, they tell me that cities always had walls around them. There was one way in that city, there was one way out of that city. And in order to get in and out, you had to go through the gates of that city. And positioned at every gate of every city was a man that they called keepers or watchers. These men had one job. You stand on top of this wall. You protect these gates. You look out far into the distance, and you let us know when you see the enemy getting close. Because oftentimes, if the city fell or if the gates fell, The city fell. So there were these men called keepers that stood at the gates of the entrance of that city. And it's not by accident that Paul says, once you cast those things down, God's about to send a keeper of peace that's going to stand at the gate of your heart. And anytime fear tries to get back in, anytime apprehension tries to get back in, Anytime timidity or uncertainty or anxieties try to get back in, there's a keeper of peace that does not allow access in your heart. If the gates fail, the city fell. And most of the times, if our heart fails, everything else fails. But God says, once you make the transition you can make, I make the transition only I can make. I take the heaviness out of your heart. And in return, I put peace. It's not just going to be a momentary relapse. God doesn't send us peace, brother Moore, for us to have to come back a month from now and get more peace. It's God's desire to put a keeper of peace at the gate of my heart that stays there through every trial, through every situation. Why don't we stand all over this house this morning and we lift our hands. And as we lift our hands all over this house, why don't we ask for that peace to just hover over this room right here? I've got to cast down everything that makes my heart heavy. But it's in those moments of me casting God sends a supernatural keeper of peace. 
I believe that there are agents of peace. There's angels of peace that can be sent to hearts and homes and individuals in this room today. Come on, let's just talk to the Lord as they make the way to the music today. I'm done preaching. But before we transition any further, I'm telling you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an atmosphere that God wants us to get in right here. Come on, I, I preached almost 40 minutes this morning. Don't feel bad. I won't preach that long tonight. But I'm telling you, there's a transition from fear to peace that God wants some of us to cross over into. Brother Moore, we can look at the world that, it's in, or world that we live in and the condition that it's in. And if we're not careful, our hearts can be overwhelmed. I've had to remind myself of this sermon a few times the last several weeks. Because I can look at what's going wrong. I can look at how this group is against that group. The left's against the right. Right's against the left. I can look at all those things. You can hear the news. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. If we're not careful, that can overwhelm us. I found myself praying recently, Lord, I don't want to raise my kids in a, in a world like this. I'll get where we're all living. I'm not trying to get into a debate of eschatology end time. I don't know if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or pan-trib. Just pan it all out. I don't know what you are. But I'll be honest, Brother Moore. There's been times I, I, I've told God, this is going to be humorous, but I'll be honest with you. I've told the Lord, if you're mid-trib or post-trib, could you just make it pre-trib and get us out of here? Because I don't want to be here. I was thinking the other day, I said, if the world is in this much chaos with the church here, what's it going to be like when the church ain't here? In fact, my Bible says the heart of many is going to fail them in these last days. But as the music team was playing so greatly today and singing, the Lord reminded me of John 14 and 1, Brother Moore, when he says, let not your heart be troubled. Another translation of that simply means don't let your heart be overwhelmed. Don't let your heart be worried. Because there's a cure for everything that makes my heart heavy. So we lift our hands one more time. I'm finished preaching. They're about to sing and play. Come on, right where you're standing. Come on, why don't somebody pray for that peace to flow in this house today? Come on, spirits of fear have to leave. Come on, why don't you just allow the Holy Ghost to baptize you with peace? I see it falling on some of you right now. Come on, if you want to step out, come around the front, whatever you want to do, I'm telling you, there's peace in this house. Peace in uncertain times. Come on, there's some of us, we need peace right now to come personally, individually to us. Come on, why don't you cast down everything that's making your heart heavy? God, I pray for peace for every individual. Peace for every family. Peace for every marriage, for every child. Peace for every home. Come on, it's in this house right now. 
Come on, somebody call for a keeper of peace to come your way. Fear and anxiety has to leave the building and let that angel of peace come to where we are. What a word we have heard in this place this morning. It will pay us, I promise you, greatly if we'll let this anchor into our minds, our hearts, our spirits, and a step further than that into our actions. We'll bring those things that we're unsettled about and cast them at the feet of Jesus, especially when they're outside our powers and ability to change them. It lies in the hands of others or God. Amen. But if we'll bring those things and cast them at his feet, 
I promise you, he can give us peace about it. He's a peace giver. And it doesn't matter how large the situation is or how small the situation is. Amen. I'm telling you, this God can handle it. What a word we've heard in the, this, this morning. We need to plant it in our hearts and our minds. We're living in a world that's full of anxiety. And they need a church that's full of peace. The only hope they got, amen, is for folks like you and I. It's a vessels with a prince pizza, amen, that's in our hearts and ruling in our lives and conversation saying, you know what, I know one that can bring peace to all of us and help us in every situation. And our actions, amen, lets us know and let God know if we really believe it. You know what, God's going to work this out. I've laid it in his hands with no strings attached to it. I'm not putting any dates on it. I'm not putting any, any boundaries on it. Hey, I've really cast at his feet because you know what? I trust him that he's going he's gonna to work out and it's going to be all right. <laughs> Praise God. Lord bless you. Love you this morning. Appreciate you. Thank you, Brother Sanford, for the good word of God in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. I'd heard of several of those things he's talking about the last two years their family had experienced and been involved in. So he's preaching from experience, not just from a, a message, but amen, but from the experience. And there's no better way to preach something but whenever you have experienced and been involved in it. Amen. So let's take this home with us. Amen. If there's something at the home that needs to be done on the job, whatever, amen, put it in the hands of God today and let God work it out. Come back in this place tonight believing, hey, the Holy Ghost has fallen in this house. I'm telling you, God's moving for us. We love God for it. We thank God for it. Hey, we in revival in case you didn't know it. I just want to send you notice. I want to send hail notice. God's in revival. He's always in revival. God can break out revivals any moment, any time, any service, in any situation. He'd step on the scene, step on the bow of the ship, say, let there be peace. Hallelujah. The thundering's got to stop. The lightning's got to stop. The rain's got to stop. Hey, I tell you, praise God, the Prince of Peace. He's alive and well. He's got peace in his heart. God ain't worried about it. I promise you right now. He's got it. He's got it. Praise God. God bless you. Appreciate you. You're dismissed the fear of the Lord. God bless you. Good to see everybody. Come back tonight. If you don't, you're going to miss it.